Willkommen, this is Julia. And this is Shane. And this is Think Plant-Based. Think Plant-Based. Make sure to check out recipes, health tips, travel tips at www.thinkplantbased.com. And we're officially on iTunes, so please rate and write us a review on iTunes. Write us a review. Give us... Two stars, three stars, maybe five stars. Let us know. Oh, for sure, Let's, five. Yeah, I mean, who would give us two stars anyways, yeah. right? But yeah, make sure to do that because that's how we get found. We are also on YouTube. Check us out and find us on Think Plant Based. Hello again. Hey, back at it. Think yeah, Plant Based exactly. with a special guest, Paul Shapiro from the Better Meat Co. How's yeah, it going? All the way from Sacramento, California. Julia and Shane, so nice to see you. Thanks so much. And I understand you've been to Sacramento before. So <laughs> let me just tell you, the next time you come here, my wife and I would love to host you. We would love to have you over. So oh, I hope awesome. you Thank you. Vancouver, but, but if you're if you're back here, swing on by. We'd love to have you. We'd we love will. To. Yeah, Thank I'm you sure so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell the uh, audience a little bit more about yourself. Uh, well, Shane, uh, for a very long time, I've been concerned about this problem of how we're going to feed humanity sustainably and humanely into the future. And so if you think about like, you know, the planet is not getting any bigger. Uh, humanity's footprint on the planet is getting a lot bigger, but the planet itself isn't getting any bigger. And one of the primary ways that we leave that footprint is through our food print, principally in the amount of meat that we eat. And so not only is it inhumane to animals to treat them in the ways that we do in, on these factory farms and in slaughter plants, but at the same time, um, it just takes a lot of land, a lot of water, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions and more to raise all of these animals for food. And so I have spent uh, about the last like 25 years or so trying to figure out ways that we can reduce humanity's reliance on animals for food. And sadly, uh, meat consumption continues to go up, not down. Right. Uh, and so and so uh, I ended up writing a book about this topic. It's called Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner in the World. And now I run a company, <coughs> excuse me, called The Better Meat Co., which uh, harnesses the power of fermentation to create meat experiences for people without animals. And so if you think about it, like if you imagine if you walk into a room, you flick on a light switch, most people aren't sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder, is this coming from coal or oil or wind or solar? They just want light, right? They just want the experience of an illuminated room. Right. right. Well, the same, is so with, you know, the same is so with meat. When people eat meat, they're not thinking, ah, oh, I'm so glad an animal was slaughtered for that. <laughs> totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Good and point. really, they're thinking they like the... They, they want the end product. Yeah, they like the taste. They like... The, Right. They want that experience of eating meat, sure. but they don't care whether an animal is killed for it or not. In fact, if they thought about it, maybe they would prefer that an animal not be slaughtered for it. Right. And so I believe that just in the same way that we can create energy without fossil fuels, we can create meat experiences without animals. And that's what I'm trying to do through the Better Meat Co. and through my writings and my book and so on. Um, and I am just very firmly convinced that without some type of technological innovation, it is going to be extremely difficult oh, for to sure. turn this tide. So what inspired you in the first place to go fully plant-based, Paul? <clears throat> uh, well, Julia, the year was 1993. The world was in <laughs> black and white. It was <laughs> snowing all the time. Every I, I had to walk uphill both ways to get to the co-op. Um, but I loved animals, and I didn't want to see them get harmed. And so I decided to become a vegetarian. And I was a young teenager at the time. 
And pretty quickly thereafter, I learned about um, what I thought. I was only reading it, but I, I never heard the word. What I thought was being <laughs> vegan. And, I, you know, I, I didn't know any of these so-called vegans. In fact, I was a vegetarian for a couple of weeks and I heard about this and I thought, man, that, that sounds like really hard to do. And I don't even know if you can do it. Like, I thought it might be kind of like holding your breath. You know, like you can hold your breath. You can hold your breath for a certain amount of time, but if you do it for too long, you'll die. Right. And that's what I thought, you know, that's what I thought being vegan was like, maybe you could go without any animal products for some amount of time, but I thought, that, you know, eventually you'd die. And, and, and so it wasn't until I read an interview, maybe a couple of weeks after that, that um, I don't know if you all remember Carl Lewis, but he was like the number one athlete it, yeah. in the world at that time. He was kind of like, yeah. I mean, he was right. like Usain Bolt back then, you know, he was an, but he, he was an American uh, Olympian, huge number of gold medals, like just uh, like really somebody who I worshipped. I just poster on my wall. Um, and I read an interview in which he talked about the fact that he was one of these, what I thought again was vegans. And I was like, oh, my God. Like he was like, yeah. And, and in fact, his best years in of Olympic uh, athleticism was after he had stopped eating animal products. And I thought, wow, like, not only can you do this, but the, the person who I worship is doing it and thriving on this diet. And so I started volunteering at animal protection organizations where I met people who I learned were actually called vegans. And I decided I would become one of them myself. And so that was in 1993. And I never looked back. So I, I you know, amazingly haven't died. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, decades. you look good. And, and, uh, Amazing. And, uh, was this all yeah, in Sacramento? Here, here I still am. Uh, okay. No, I grew up in Maryland, and so I, I, I live in Sacramento. I wish I could tell you, Julia, that there was like some great business reason to be here, but the real reason is that um, it was a decision made by my then-girlfriend, who is now my wife, so it was a very good decision. Oh, okay. uh, she grew up here, and her family lives here, so uh, so I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But no, I grew up in Maryland, and you know what's funny is like back then, there wasn't obviously like a Google or YouTube or anything, uh, but there was the yellow pages. And my parents were, were very, they, and my parents were concerned about whether I would be healthy as a vegan or not. Cause they thought, well, here is this you know, young teenager. He wants to stop eating all animal products. And it's like, they, they knew about vegetarianism. Like they knew uh, Gandhi and Einstein were vegetarian. Like they knew about that, but they didn't know anything about vegan. And so they looked in the yellow pages to find a, uh, to find a um, nutritionist, and they were like, we, go, "We need to go see a nutritionist." And I mean, I and I, I remember saying, "What's a nutritionist?" Like I didn't even know what that was. And so they uh, they just picked one based on geography, and we went to go see her. Who was geography right. meaning the closest to us? And we went to go see her, and almost like by divine intervention, in 1993, this nutritionist wow. was vegan wow. herself. And I could not, I couldn't <laughs> What's believe the name it. I, I was like, you know, name? just in the show. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I wish I remembered. I, 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 would, I would be so grateful. Maybe if Santa Melina. Maybe yeah, she goes down there. Uh, she, and she, she, uh, you know what? If you are a female nutritionist who was in Rockville, <laughs> Maryland in 1993 and you're listening to this, there you go. get in touch with me because yeah. there's exactly, a high chance right? that, that was You know you. what I find yeah. funny? People get worried when you become vegan, but if someone is on a McDonald's diet or something, people don't even ask, do you get all your nutrients? Yeah. Did you ever notice that? It's like yeah. all of a sudden <laughs> when you're vegan, people are like experts in nutrition. You should get this and this and that, this. <laughs> 
type of protein are you getting b12 are you getting that enough you know it's like <laughs> funny yeah yeah you know and, the, and i totally agree and i think that's so funny julia but i'll tell you uh you know people are obsessed with protein right everybody's like oh where are you getting your protein from you need 20 grams of protein for me i mean it's all this stuff and it's like first of all you've never met and anybody listening to this podcast has never met anybody never. who's protein no. deficient <laughs> ever like protein deficiency is vir is virtually non-existent in america and canada oh, and sure. in other mm -hmm. industrialized countries um it's just it, it's it's just pretty much non-existent now you know if somebody like is uh, sadly suffering from anorexia they could be protein deficient but for the most part if, if anybody's eating an adequate number of calories they're not protein deficient yet at the same time more than nine out of ten people are fiber deficient and they're, they're not eating enough fiber and fiber deficiency is associated with all types of really bad bad problems constipation is one of course but even things like colon cancer and other really serious ailments are associated with fiber deficiency and yet you know where you don't get any fiber at all is from animals you know animals have skeletons that's what holds us up plants don't have skeletons so they have fiber that hold them up that's why plants have fiber and animals don't and so the only way that you can get fiber is by eating plant-based meals preferably whole food plant-based meals and that would do a lot to address fiber deficiency and so the irony is that people like you're saying julia they become nutritional experts when they find out that somebody else has become vegan almost certainly they are not getting enough fiber in their diet and they would benefit by eating a right. whole or, diet i mean <laughs> it's up to you if, if you follow the advertisements on tv you know this you can buy fiber well they always say like oh you're going to be lacking nutrition yeah. nu nutrients and then you ask yeah. me like what nutrient are you talking about and 90 percent <laughs> of the time they don't even know they just heard it from someone and they think it's the yeah, truth or, or, and, <laughs> yeah Right, or, or, yeah. or they'll say or protein, protein is all they can, all they can think, think of. of. <laughs> uh, which, right, right. And, and the studies are overwhelmingly yeah. clear. Like, even vegetarians and vegans get more than more protein than they need. So, I mean, I'm not saying, like, that you shouldn't think about protein, but I am saying oh, yeah. that you're not deficient in it. And you, and you, I don't mean you, Julia and Shane, <laughs> but I mean We heard just, it before, though. Know, <laughs> Many the times. The, the, yeah, 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 to the... To the yeah, to, to, yeah, but to the average person, if you're listening, you yeah. probably oh, yeah. are yeah, exactly. without a doubt. Yeah. So, uh, what are the benefits of uh, the clean meat that your company's making? And maybe you can get into a bit of uh, the process of how you guys create it, since it's very interesting. Sure. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. So, you know, listen. You all have a, a lot of folks who are into plant-based eating who listen to the podcast. So, let me say, if you all uh, don't want to have a meat experience that's awesome that's great i've been vegan since 1993 i'm happy to eat bean and rice burritos and lentil soup and hummus and all that i love it i wish more people would do that unfortunately most people want to eat meat and they're eating more meat today than ever before and so we have to do something about that the fact is that on not just because there's more humans on the planet but because on a per person basis humans are eating more meat than ever before that's true in america it's true in China, it's true in India and Brazil and Mexico and all the places where it's going to matter the most. Meat consumption on a per person basis is on the rise, right. not decline. And so, uh, again, it, it's kind of like fossil fuels. Like I would love it if people just wanted to walk and bike everywhere and they didn't want to drive and fly. But, you know, people really like driving and flying. And so that's why it's important that we create ways to power our cars without fossil fuels, as one example. Similarly, I wish that people would just eat lentil soup again and bean and rice burritos, but 
Most people want to eat meat, and generally speaking, people will eat about as much meat as they can afford. What seems to uh, decrease meat demand is economic recession, and what seems to increase meat demand is economic prosperity. Meaning, the more money, the more money people have, the more meat they'll buy. Basically, now we don't want to be in a position where we're going to say, "Oh, I hope the economy tanks." Obviously, (laughs) that's not true. What we want is for people to enjoy experiences that they want without all of those downsides. So we want to be able to drive. We want to be able to have light in our homes without fossil fuels, and we should be able to have a meat experience without animals. So what so what you can do is just in the same way like uh, with clean energy there's lots of ways to do it wind solar geothermal and more well when you're talking about clean meat there's lots of ways that you can create that meat experience without animals you can do what companies like beyond meat and impossible foods do which is to take plants and transform them into things that look like animal meat so making a burger for out of soybeans or that's a great thing to do and i love those products uh, but it's only one way to do it There's another way if instead of going to the plant kingdom, you can go to the animal kingdom. And in the animal kingdom, you don't have to use the animals themselves. You just use microscopic animal cells that you grow in a cultivator and cause them to grow into actual animal meat that is simply grown without the need to raise and slaughter animals. It's kind of like how, you know, for uh, millennia, the only way we had to get ice was out of nature. And we had big, we had a big industry that harvested blocks of ice out of nature and put them on insulated boats and transported it all around the world. And then you had the advent of refrigeration and we had a way to make the same thing to make ice, but instead of coming from nature, it comes from a technology. And there were some people at that time in the 19th century, when this uh, new ice came about, who railed against what they called artificial ice. They said it was unnatural. They said it was went against God. It could sicken your children. And, you know, today we all have artificial ice makers in our homes. We don't think there's anything unnatural about them at all. We call them freezers. <laughs> uh, we probably would never even consider, you know, we wouldn't even consider right. living without one. So that's, that's another way. But there is a third way. And my own company, The Better Meat Co., uh, makes meat experiences by harnessing the power of fermentation to take microscopic fungi and convert them into something that really has the texture of meat, except is much better for you, doesn't involve animals, and is a tiny footprint on the planet. So I'll give you guys an example. So imagine Julia and Shane that you feed a cow for more than a year, and then you get a steak, right? You feed that cow grass or corn or whatever you're gonna feed her, and then you slaughter her and you get that steak. Well, that's one way to do it. What we do is we get rid of that cow, And instead, we use tiny microscopic fungi, and we feed them things like corn and potatoes. And just in the same way that a cow turns grass into steak, our little microbes turn corn and potatoes into something that looks like a steak. It has the texture of meat. However, it is free from saturated fat, Mm -hmm. no cholesterol. It has more protein on its own without almost any processing at all, straight out of the fermenter. It has more protein than eggs, more iron than beef. It has more fiber than oats, more potassium than bananas. And unlike plant foods, it has naturally containing vitamin B12. And so this is a real superfood that is animal free, but because it's a product of microbial fermentation, it contains vitamin B12. And so you think about that, that we can create a meat experience without the need for a lot of processing, straight out of the fermenter, it already is textured like meat. And the product that we offer is a whole food. It is a whole food microbial protein that we call RISA, that's R-H-I-Z-A, and RISA 
is delicious. It's neutral in flavor. It has a great meat-like texture, and we can flavor it to make it taste like steaks, crab cakes, fish sticks, chicken breasts, and more. And so we are in Sacramento, uh, really, every day, do running fermentations to create a river of our mycoprotein to run through the food industry and obviate the need to raise and slaughter all of these animals. Wow. How did you find yeah. out about this process? Yeah, like, works. how did you just one day be like, yeah, we just feed uh, this is microbial and, and we get what we steak? want. Yeah, how? that sounds like, it like seems, magic. It seems like, yeah, just <laughs> almost like antibiotics, just by accident, you kind of find it and it just worked or a lot of R&D in there or, or what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, in, in short, honestly, right. yeah, it's years of R&D and, and a lot of money spent doing it. Uh, however, it's not a mystery that we can use microbes right. to do various things. The issue is that there's, there's thousands of species of them. So I'll give you an example. If you use the species that we commonly know as brewer's yeast, it's a microbe, you put it into a fermenter and you feed it sugar and it will produce alcohol. That's how you get beer and wine. You feed your microbes uh, that in that case, it's called Saccharomyces, right. but we call brewer's yeast. You feed it a uh, sugar source and it creates alcohol. Well, there's other species of microbes out there. Let's say beaker's yeast, a different type of microbe. You feed it sugar and it produces CO2. So you can leaven your bread. That's how you get bread to leaven by putting your uh, baker's yeast in it because it consumes the sugar in the wheat and then it creates CO2 to leaven your bread. So like the art of fermentation has already been going on for thousands of years. Humans have known that we can take these microbes and do really interesting things with them. Uh, this is how we make lots of things, including penicillin and other uh, things is through these type of really interesting fermentations. Now, the question is, what else can we produce? Because we have barely scratched the surface of investigating the uh, microbiological for food production purpose. So if you think about right now, if you look at plant-based meat, nearly all of it, probably 99% of plant-based meat comes from either wheat, pea, or soy, or some combination of those, either soy-based, right. pea-based, or wheat-based. And uh, what we're saying is, you know, that's awesome. Those are great crops. However, what if instead of using whole plants or using animal cells, we just use different microbes and we could create something that was meat-like in its texture. And so we investigated lots of different uh, species to see what could we do that would actually accumulate protein, have a meat-like texture and grow fast. Because we don't have the advantage. Like if you think about, you know, let's say like the chicken industry, today's chickens grow to slaughter weight That's in like crazy. 40 Whoa. days. Whereas if this had... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if this had been, you know, if this had been like, you know, 70 years ago, it would be closer right. to 80 days. And if it had been uh, 700 years ago, it would be even longer. And what we're doing are, is using microbes that haven't been domesticated. So you think about like the chicken has been domesticated and that we have selectively bred chickens to cause them to grow very rapidly, which makes chicken right. much mm -hmm. cheaper to consume. Well, the same for us, we're using like wild harvested fungi. And our wild harvested fungi have not been domesticated, so to speak, to grow fast. So we wanted something that on its own would grow very fast. And so that's what we've selected for. And so if you think about that cow who takes more than a year of eating before you get the steak, in our case, we feed our microscopic fungi for less than what? one single day so efficient. before harvesting them. Less than one day. It is. Mm -hmm. So we, put, we inoculate our fermenter and we let, it, we let the microbes eat for less than a day. They grow up, 
And then we harvest them and turn them into things that look like animal meat. <laughs> and so this is, I think, one, one of the great opportunities for the future of food because it is so efficient. It, take up, right. it takes up so little land to grow this meat-like food, which is nutritious, delicious, completely all natural. It's just fungi that we wild harvested that we're subjecting to fermentation and transforming them into things that are healthier than meat have a meat like texture and are truly and fast light on too. The planet. like you, you can keep up with demand and then some if it's only you said like a day turnaround for for them to grow right, right. so that's that's probably the best thing yeah. right instead of having to wait those 40 days or whatever you can do it almost totally instant instantly quicker than almost. kombucha, yeah, yeah, kombucha. Yeah. yeah it's pretty pretty crazy <laughs> that's amazing how so, quick you can so will we eventually exactly. find the clean meat products yeah, like in regular supermarkets around the world and where are they available at the moment so the better meat co is making our rhizome mycoprotein in, in a pilot okay. plant right now so we can produce enough for like samples for customers we aren't producing enough to put out into thousands of supermarkets yet. So for example, we sell the product right now to Hormel Foods, the makers of Spam, and they are doing a lot of R&D with it because they have launched their own plant-based meat line. It's called Happy Little Plants. And they're interested in, in seeing the potential applications of this new ingredient. Because again, everybody else is using pea, wheat, or soy. Well, here's a new ingredient, then they want to try it out. So our goal, is to create new products while at the same time building a commercial scale facility in order to bring this new ingredient into the world. And so we right now have a fermenter that goes up of about 30 feet into the air, whereas we really need one that is going up, you know, closer to maybe like a hundred right. feet in the air. Like we need a fermenter the size of an office building basically in order to, in order to actually supply a good amount. So this is not like a commodity, like soy protein is a commodity. You go out on the market, you buy if you want to get something, right. you buy as much as you want, basically. Whereas what we are doing is creating something that nobody else is offering. And we need a, a model where we actually produce millions of pounds. And that's going to take some time to build that. But that's what we're building with our company. So our startup right now, as of this recording, we're recording this at the very end of January 2022. And the Better Miko hasn't even existed wow. for four years yet. And so we have a long sure. we have a long way to go. Like if you think about other other startups in the space, like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat and Eat Just, all of them have been around for a decade or more. And we still have some time to go to scale up. But the technology that we are pioneering has the potential to spare millions of animals from the need to go through factory farms and slaughter plants, which is the entire reason yeah, why right. we're doing this. So how does it work with uh, underdeveloped countries? Are they able to adapt to, to this lifestyle or to these type of um, fermentation processes? Yeah, what? Yeah, one of the really cool things, Julia, if you think about, let's say, just take fish as an example. Right now, a lot of these landlocked countries uh, are importing fish from areas like the coastal areas or areas that are near lakes, and they're transporting it all the way there if they can afford that. And what we offer is the ability to just set up fermentation systems that actually could produce something that is high in protein and could have that uh, fish-like texture and flavor, depending on how you um, how you run your fermentation right there you don't need to put it somewhere where all the fish are you can put it there so 
imagine uh, like a, for an example if you think about places like africa and, and india where they never developed landline infrastructures they just went straight to cell phone towers right so they leapfrogged over the landline infrastructure days to the cell phone days well i think that we could do something similar in that you could see uh you could see societies in which they never developed factory farming of animals they never developed massive aquaculture or chicken factories and so on and they just go straight to these type of fermentation platforms where they can uh, produce a large amount of really healthy protein without the need to raise and slaughter all these yeah, animals that's, that would be big if you can just be you know build a plan get their protein you know keep up with you know food supply there and yeah, I think that would be great. What kind of uh, meat, faux meat textures can you make with the Ryza protein? Can you do them all or is it, does <laughs> yeah, it depend on what you, you know, feed it? I, I was just really curious uh, what you can yeah, do with it. Uh, yeah, you know, Shane, Shane I'll tell you, I, I know it sounds magical, but it's not magic. Just it's, science. Just, it, it, it's just science. But yes, just in the same way. So think about, let's say, a pea protein, since that's like the hero ingredient in a lot of plant-based meat today. You, people are making, they're making burgers and fish sticks and crab cakes and chicken nuggets out of pea protein. The same is so with our mycoprotein, Ryza. You can use it to make all of those. It just depends how do you hydrate the product, how do you flavor the product, um, different ways of processing it. Those are what's going to, those are the factors that are going to enable you to make those different products. So as a base ingredient, it's extremely versatile. Um, but you can go any yeah. direction you want. So what that. does Ryza mean? Yeah, does it have a meaning behind it? <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's Greek. It, 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 yeah, it does. It oh. does. So okay. it's Greek for root. And so uh, we not only do we view ourselves as getting to the root of the problem, but we use what's called mycelium, which is the root-like structure right. underneath fungi. A lot of times people think of fungi as like mushrooms, whereas mushrooms are just the fruiting body of the fungi. And so... Uh, in the same way that there's an apple on a tree, but then there's a trunk and there's roots and all that. A mushroom is like right. the apple on the tree. And so too many, you know, most of the time people just think of plants and fungi as the same thing. Um, but they're not. They're completely different kingdoms. Uh, so just for a fun fact for you, if you think about how different fungi are from plants, uh, you know, plants have to put themselves out in the sun and they photosynthesize. That's how they get their nutrition. Uh, whereas um, fungi do what we do. They do what animals do. They they seek, search out and digest food and consume it. Um, plants breathe in CO2 and breathe out oxygen. We know animals do the opposite. Animals breathe in oxygen and breathe out CO2. Well, fungi breathe in oxygen and breathe out CO2. And so if you look like evolutionarily, fungi are way closer way closer to animals than they are to plants. And those two facts that I just mentioned uh, are affirmative of that. And so it's not surprising that a lot of mushroom species actually have a far more meat-like texture to their flesh than plants do because they're much closer to animals. In fact, Asian cultures have been using mushrooms as a meat substitute for centuries. So the question is, can you use different parts of the fungi, not just the mushroom, but that root-like structure underneath the mushroom, which is called uh, mycelium, and create products that are going to be even more meat-like, even more protein-rich and more to mimic the meat experience without the need to actually go into the animal kingdom and start right. slaughtering them. Wow. Science, right? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so impressive. Yes. 
so uh, yeah, intriguing. <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. I, 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 I'm a big, I'm a big believer that uh, oh, we sure. need more science in order to solve well, the yeah. problems that we face. Like, I would love it. I would love it if people just decide to use less energy and to, uh, you know, have just eat more plants. It'd be awesome. I'd be so thrilled. Uh, sadly, we got to play right. the cards as they're dealt. And we are destroying the planet. We're tormenting animals. We need to come up with a better way. And uh, creating, for example, more efficient photovoltaics for better solar energy. Ways to make meat without animals. These are the type of things that I am most enthusiastic about when it comes to our prospects of not destroying the planet and ourselves in the right. process. I mean, there's a lot of greenwashing happening too, right? I mean, solar energy sounds amazing, but to even create or produce a so solar panel sometimes, right, can be very bad for the environment too. It takes a lot of resources yeah. and chemicals and, and things to get it working. So there are all these little details, but yeah, in the end, I mean, nothing is perfect, right? We're trying mm -hmm. to be more environmental yeah. friendly and it's that's take sometimes time. what and matters can't like, just be black or white it exactly. has to be kind of gray to get to get us there right us as vegans we're not perfect you know but we're trying to be better for the world the people yeah. the animal and mm -hmm. like as yeah. a whole i i totally agree with you so if you think about it uh, i think that there's a problem oftentimes in the vegan community where there's a standard of what people mm -hmm. perceive as right. purity And there's less, you know, people want you to strive for perfection, whereas I think that we should applaud people for any progress right. that they're making, uh, regardless of whether they've reached what we perceive as perfection. And even the people who uh, say that they're going for perfection still are causing harm every day through all types of ways that we cause harm. Inadvertently, of course, but still, it doesn't matter. We're still causing harm. So your example, Julia, about uh, solar panels is accurate. I mean, yeah, it's better than oil. It's better than coal, but we shouldn't pretend that it has zero impact. However, if we could make them, let's say, twice as efficient, we would need only half of the solar panels that we would need So to get the same amount of energy. So uh, those type of innovations and advancements, I think, can, can help us move along the spectrum here. But I would like to see, as a longtime vegan myself, a vegan community in which we are applauding people for taking their first steps rather than punishing them for not exactly. taking what we think should be their last steps. And so, and, and so if somebody wants to do a meatless mm -hmm. Monday, I think that's great. If they want to do like what Mark Bittman, the, the um, cookbook author does, he says he's <laughs> vegan before 6 p.m. And then after 6 p.m. He's, he, he eats whatever he wants. Uh, or you can do what I do, which is vegan before 6 p.m. <laughs> and vegan after 6 p.m. So you're just vegan That works for us, too. Yeah. Such a great point. Yeah, right? Yeah. 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 I don't know what happens at 6 p.m. exactly. I guess it's a free-for-all. But uh, anyway, you know, the, po yeah. the point is, like, I, I really think, like, we should be sure. applauding progress. The nature of social change and personal change is that it's often incremental. It's very rare that you have people who have like a road to Damascus type revelation <laughs> where everything changes. I'm not saying it never, I'm not saying it never happens, but I am saying like, it's very rare. Uh, incrementalism in my view tends to get more for animals uh, than an all or nothing. Exactly. I mean, way way looking at it. yeah, right. There's so many people you meet and they're really interested in your lifestyle. Like, Oh, so, so how do you get your protein and all these typical questions you always get. 
And they actually get you. You can feel they get you and they want to try veganism out more. But then, you know, they they move on. They don't see you again, right? And they <laughs> keep on eating what they're eating. It's, it's so interesting. But then there's some people, they tell me like, oh, I met this person and I went vegan right away the next day. So everyone is so different to absorb information that makes sense to them. But some people get it at that moment, yeah. but then it, it disappears, it vanishes. It's like amazing how... Some people, like how different people are, you know, like some people get it right away. They feel yeah. the pain that animals go through. And, but some people see it at that moment and then it goes away. It's like a post on social media and then it's gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good analogy. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, look, there, there used to, well, there still was a saying among some, but there, you know, there's this saying that, oh, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, everybody would be vegetarian. No. It doesn't appear yeah. to be true though. Just uh, don't I look at the glass wall. Can, you don't have to look there. Photos. You can turn your head, put your head in the sand. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that, you know, that, yeah, that's right. And you know, look, the, the number of people who see a slaughterhouse video and don't become vegetarian is dramatically higher than the number of people who look at right. it and do become vegetarian. And, uh, uh, you know, we just, we have to recognize that, you know, sometimes like paint jobs mm -hmm. require many layers, right? You need to do many layers of paint before the job is done. And so we want to subject people to positive experiences. I'm not saying not to show them those videos. Of course, I'm not suggesting that, but I'm just saying oftentimes it's not sufficient and we have a welcoming, open approach to uh, people who might be interested in even just dipping their toe in the plant-based waters. Even if they don't want to do a cannonball into the water, they just want to dip their toe in, I say welcome. You know, I'll tell you an interesting story. My wife, uh, she runs a brand called Plant-Based on a Budget. And uh, it's a popular brand. She also has a number of cookbooks. She's a vegan cookbook author. And when she when she surveys her audience, which is a, a very large audience on Instagram and others um, and other social media platforms, the majority of the people who follow her and are interested in getting her vegan recipes great. are not vegans. Right? They're not vegetarians. That's awesome. Exactly. And so, like that, mm -hmm. that's that's what we want. You know, we want to have the people who are everyday meat consumers who are interested enough that they're going to follow somebody like my wife at plant-based on a budget and learn how they can incorporate more plant-based meals into their diet. So uh, I, I'm, I'm just a big believer in having a positive welcoming approach. And I think uh, the world would have uh, a the world would be vegan friendlier. If totally. more I can't agree more. Yeah. It's a good way, good way to go about uh, spreading the word and everything. Right. For sure. So any uh, future plans that, I mean, obviously you're just getting started, but do you have any like five-year <laughs> goals you want to accomplish? And uh, where can the listeners find more about uh, your product if, say, they want to start making some more stuff or innovate some stuff with your product? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Shane. <laughs> Shane, I'm going to tell you two goals. So one of them is to build a full-scale fermentation facility. Again, with a fermenter the size right. of an office building, where we can have a river, a river of millions of pounds of our mycelium flowing through the food industry, so that we can spare animals from the need to going through the factory farming system. That's the number one goal. That's what I'm focused like a laser on is is basically raising the capital to build that. 
and to then get that mycelial river into the food industry. And the second, I'm going to put this out there in case anybody is uh, is in the book publishing industry. Uh, I, you know, I, I enjoy writing. Uh, I wrote a book called, again, it's called Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner in the World. But I also have just finished a novel about animal protection issues, and I am interested <laughs> in publishing this. So that is another goal of mine, Shane and Julia. So if you're out there and you think that you want to be helpful in uh, my dream to uh to put out into the world an inter really interesting sci-fi animal protection novel get in touch and to answer your question shane where you can get in touch so if you're interested in the better meat co uh, our website is just bettermeat.co again that's bettermeat.co if you're interested in my book clean meat you can get it anywhere books are sold including amazon or anywhere else but also the book's official website is cleanmeat.com again that's cleanmeat.com and if you're interested in this novel and you want to help out on this in some way, just go to cleanmeat.com and uh, message me through the contact form. I would love to uh, hear from you and uh, make this dream a reality. Yeah, we'll put it all in the show notes and hopefully some people maybe contact you. Who knows? Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Yeah. Thanks good. so much for your Very time. Good. And it was super interesting to learn about your company and about how you became vegan and everything, how you inspire people every day. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Julia and Shane, I'm really grateful to you for all that you're doing to put a positive plant-based message out into the world. So thank you for helping to make it a more humane world for animals. And I hope that we get a chance to meet up in person sometime soon, whether in Sacramento, Vancouver, or maybe somewhere else. But know <laughs> that I'm rooting for your success, and I hope that we can thank do some great things Yeah, likewise, and I, I I'm see sure a we'll great meet future. Up. Yeah, you. I'm sure we'll meet up sometime for sure. in the future. Sounds good. All right. Great. Take care. Well, it was great talking to you, Paul. And have a good rest of your day. And uh, yeah, like I said, we'll probably see you in the future here. For sure. Take care. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Thank Take you care, so Paul. much. Ciao.